What makes a great product? Is it the hand-finished glaze on a vase? The artistry of the label on a drinks bottle? Is it the knowledge that it came from a heritage brand with the best skills in the business, or that it was made sustainably within one country? We appreciate the items that we know have had the hands of a great craftsman or woman on them more than those that came off a factory conveyor belt. And after a period of fast fashion and mass production, it seems the customer is even more aware of where and how their things are created. This is Made in France, a celebration of the rich tradition of French craftsmanship and innovation in manufacturing. This is a country full of ateliers, workshops and schools creating at such a high level that designers from around the world seek out their expertise. Each week we'll be travelling across France to speak to designers, chefs, winemakers, teachers, milliners, ceramicists and plenty more who are making beautifully crafted items. I'm your host, Gillian Tobias. Today's programme is rooted firmly in the world of fashion. One of France's greatest acumens is preserving their world-renowned craft and clothes making. Key to this is how larger labels protect the smaller companies who have the specialist expertise. De Bonfacteur is a Paris-based menswear label run by Deborah Neuberg. She prides herself not only in having her designs made by the best atelier in France, but being very specific about which company has made each piece, rather than just carrying the generic Made in France label. Our reporter, Colette Davidson, meets Neuberg to learn more about her love for the craft of clothes. The Benfecture is a line of clothing, menswear, that is made in a very particular way, choosing specific fabrics, trimmings and atelier to make each piece of clothing with hand-picked suppliers and makers. So are you a designer yourself or are you kind of working with other designers to create a brand? I'm not a trained designer, but I I do design. I do creative direction for the line. Okay, but essentially you are looking for people to collaborate with and then you you bring you select pieces. Can you explain a little bit about how your your process works? Yeah. So that's what I started by doing. Actually at the beginning, I had a vision of how the line I envisioned would look like and I went to all of those makers thinking that I would find the pieces I imagined at the atelier but actually it wasn't that way they were just you know makers they didn't have their own line and when they had it mostly it didn't really look like what I imagined would be beautiful to make and that's when I, I decided to take it upon myself to design it the way I imagined it and because I'm not a trained designer or pattern maker I had to work with pattern makers and on all of the technical part, I'm not the one doing it, but I designed the pieces and I you know, manage all of the creative line. So you come with the vision basically and then you seek out people that can fulfill that vision? Yes, I will pick the right suppliers for the fabrics, the right suppliers for the buttons, the, like the trimmings. And then I will work with the best pattern makers and the best atelier to make the fabrication. Actually, I don't work any differently than most you know, creative directors, but I just choose to highlight the process of how everything is made and everyone who's involved in making clothing. 
So tell me a little bit more about that. Why is craftsmanship so important to you to promote? I think craftsmanship is largely invisibilized in the fashion industry. And I use that word fashion because, you know, fashion is very connected to image, to status, to, you know, marketing a, a lifestyle. And most of the time, we don't really realize how every piece of clothing that we see or accessory is connected to a whole industry, to the industrial part of it and the you know, very concrete part of it. And I think it's very important to highlight that in the era where, you know, fast fashion and mass consumerism invisibilizes the impact all of this has on the planet, on workers, on... There's so many issues concerning, you know, the impact of all of that very flashy fashion industry. So I really wanted to balance the importance of creation with the importance of making. And I think that isn't always done, although this is actually what really happens in a, any fashion line. The jobs are the same, but the way it's marketed out to the customer is not always done like what I do. And, and as you mentioned, you're really trying to, to focus on the, the people who are making the clothing and to, to use their names. Yes. Now, I read that some labels or brands don't want to disclose that. Why do you think that is, and why is it important for you to do the opposite? Well, there are different reasons, I think. I think one of the reasons is they don't want other brands to be working with their makers. Another reason is this might not be important to them and to the way they want to market their products, so they don't think this has an impact. Maybe just the made-in has an impact, or maybe they don't think it has an impact, and they'll just you know, put it in the, the tag and just hide it as much as possible because that's not what they want to highlight. And uh, another reason could be they're not really proud of where they're making. Are there any regions in France that are doing things particularly well or have a, you know, a particular focus? Yeah, many. But you know, France is, is very disindustrialized now, so we've lost a lot of those traditions, but there's still, you know, knitting in Brittany. There's a region in the southwest around Mazamé that does everything that's linked to sheep, wool, leather. There's a region around Châteauroux that's into like Carensun, so shirting, outerwear. So there are a lot of regions like that. And even if you're trying to promote, you know, manufacturers from anywhere, why do you think that France still holds this allure for shoppers, whether they're French shoppers or, or, or people coming from abroad to find French brands? I think the allure it has for French shoppers is for a different reason than international shoppers. So local shoppers will just want to support local industry and think it's better for society if, you know, they're buying from a local artisan and and that's what they say by the way but it's not always the case but anyway you know that might be one of the reasons they would be interested in that and for international shoppers i mean france is so connected to this culture of fashion of high high-end making i think since you know royalty and you know all of the kings and all of the royal crafts and trades, this has been the case. So I think this is a little bit connected to that and a little bit connected to the way the fashion industry was very 
concentrated in Paris, and Paris was such a hub for, you know, design and fashion and style. And then, of course, that you know that required having high high end making craftsmanship available, and that created that. So I think that history definitely helps that image. I was just going to ask, do you think that it lives up to that today? Not always, not always. And I also think, to be very honest, I, I participated to this panel where all of these French people were kind of um, congratulating themselves on the highest quality, but I don't, in front of a lot of international manufacturers. And I was a little bit embarrassed. And I publicly, you know, called them out because I was on the panel because I thought that was, first of all, not true and a little bit condescending. So I think, yeah, we should be very careful in France of actually checking if our craftsmanship, and, and there is amazing craftsmanship in France and better than other places' craftsmanship on certain crafts. But yeah, I think this is something we should be checking constantly and not relying on a past glory or image. As regular listeners will know, each week here on Made in France, we've been exploring the atelier who work closely with Chanel. We end our tour at Maison Le Sage on the outskirts of Paris. Le Sage is one of the leading embroidery companies in France with a history that stretches back to the birth of haute couture in the early 1900s, when this family business worked with some of the biggest names in fashion. The big moment was in 1983, when Mr. Lagerfeld took over the creative direction of Chanel and began working with Maison Lesage. When Carl arrived, he wanted to work with Mr. Lesage because the reputation of the company was indisputable at the time, and Francois Lesage was a highly charismatic and talented character, and Mr. Lagerfeld wanted to work with him. So that's what happened. And since then, well, you know the story. Not only do we work with Chanel all the time, but Chanel bought Maison Lesage in 2002. Moreover, we're part of a group called Perfection, with affection. Just the name indicates the empathy and fondness that Chanel had for the métier d'art. One of the specifics of French embroidery is actually the variety of techniques. There are two main types when we talk about embroidery, what we call with a needle or with a hook. With a needle, the embroiderer is called a matours, and with a crochet hook, which is called a lunavie, they're called a lunavielles. I think what's important today is to perpetuate all of these techniques, all of this savoir-faire, because it's our heritage, the living soul of this craft. And so what I find absolutely fascinating is to be able to put new technologies at the service of embroidery, and not the other way around, using digital tools. Why not? Without passion, we can't do anything, in our profession anyway. You have to be a bit mad to be an embroiderer. Nowadays, everything is very fast. We want fast things. Here, we're not like that at all. It's all about ardent patience, time. The time we take to create is absolutely vital and necessary. 
So the qualities that an embroider needs are, above all, patience. Then, you need to be extremely demanding. You also need to have a sort of faith in mysticism. You really need confidence to be in this profession. And stubbornness, never giving up, because it's very long, very slow work. You must also be extremely rigorous, and accept that sometimes you will have to undo. Doing is one thing, but undoing is very important, so things can be improved. Then, you also need imagination, because this imagination is transmitted in the embroidery we do. And this is how we see the embroiders' love through their craft. Craftsmanship today, in fashion and embroidery in particular, is a justification of what we call luxury. With creativity, beauty is fundamental, in my opinion, and Chanel identified it a long time ago because they bought their first atelier in 1985, and today they have over 20. So it's terribly important to safeguard, but also to give this profession a reason to be. And this also means it needs to justify what luxury means in France today. It wasn't until Karl Lagerfeld arrived at Chanel in the 80s that the two companies began a relationship that would result in Lesage becoming one of Chanel's métiers d'art. Artistic director Hubert Barrère tells us about Lesage's history with the brand and the techniques that make them the best embroiderers in town. Throughout this series, we've been hearing from various Monocle staff about the French products they love. Today, Monocle's executive editor, Josh Fennert, tells us about his favourite jacket made by the French fashion company Vetra. To all intents and purposes, the French, to me anyway, have the fashion industry all but well sewn up. Design, they've got it down. Manufacturing, they know how to make it too. They invented the word atelier, don't you know? During my time at Monocle, I've been fortunate enough to attend a good few shows, meetings at trade fairs and fashion-focused soirees, and have long felt a creeping suspicion that it's not just what, but how a certain chic Gallic type dons their accoutrements and makes an ensemble exciting. These people have a way of wearing things that carries with it a certain suggestion of style, of which the British, as a tribe, are broadly oblivious. It's a style that I'm fully willing to admit I lack personally, but if there's an item tucked in my armoire to which I feel most attached and in which I feel closest to graceful, I'd have to say it's my time-worn True Blue Vetra workwear jacket. My five-pocket favourite is made from hard-wearing cotton. It's a bulked-up shirt that acts as a summer or a winter layer and can even sub in for more formal occasions. It looks as effortless and comfortable as I wish I did. It looks good over a button-down and does well over a t-shirt too. It layers well underneath a thicker jacket if the wind whips up and folds down flat into a bag to emerge creaseless and ready for action. The time-tested design is made in the town of Le Lude in the Le Mans region, where the same family has plied its trade since 1927. The brand's name, Vetra, itself is a portmanteau of the words vêtement, meaning clothing, and travail, meaning work. But it's more than just a marketing gimmick, don't you know? The firm has long supplied workers from hands-on mechanics to flower-flecked pastry chefs and the military. In a little metaphor for what the French do so well, the cut and the material are both easy on the eye, chic and unfalteringly hardy, and well-made too. 
I like the nods to the past in the Vetra workwear jacket. The logo's red as it would have traditionally been for manufacturers of such garments, and the default hue is a distinctive ultramarine blue, which has become so de rigueur in recent years. Workwear can feel a little at odds with the zhuzh and flair of French fashion, but at its best, I think it sums up the certain je ne sais quoi nicely. There's French design, yes, and French craftsmanship, and they come together to make a faultlessly fetching ensemble. To end this series, I'm handing over to Monocle's editor-in-chief, Tyler Brulé, fashion editor Jamie Waters, and senior correspondent Sophie Grove, who are in conversation with Tom Edwards about why we love the label Made in France. So we're here to basically look back over our Made in France season and I guess maybe start, Tyler, by seeing whether the insights that we've gained over these recent weeks have given us a better perspective of what Made in France means. What do you think that means? What's the monocle view on, on Fabrique en France? Well, I think part of it is it's a beacon, isn't it? And I think what we've learned over the series, and partly it is in line with, I would say, also our house view as well. We've always been interested as a magazine when it comes to, of course, the world of design and fashion. Provenance has always been a big part of it. But then not just provenance in terms of you know what is the essence of the brand and who owns it, but making sure that that entire story is complete. And I think we've always tried to then look for those corners of the world where you see a really intact story. Is someone supporting a region? Is someone supporting a style of, of craftsmanship? You know, a culture of, of guild, whatever it may be. And that's what we've seen in France. And I think over the years, not just within the series, but you know whether it's been you know looking at, at glove makers, whether it's been a story looking at at woodworkers, whether it's been looking at manufacturers of confectionery. You know, that is something which is at the core of Made in France. And I think when I go back to it being a beacon, this is a country which I think can teach many other nations a lesson. And I think, you know, certainly what we see right now, and, and Sophie, you're closer to it because you're, you're in Paris. I think so many countries are trying to correct this now. They've seen that they've offshored business. Brand is all important. Who really cares about manufacturing? And then, of course, now we're in a world where people want traceability as well. There's a whole other sustainability story that comes with it. But if you sort of stuck by your guns, you know, from the start, which, of course, we've seen with many French institutions and, and Maison, you don't have to go and sort of, you know, dial back history. And Sophie, perhaps we can jump in there. Exactly as Tyler says, you've been out on the road reporting and you've spoken to so many names as we've as we've gone through this season yourself. Have you have you learned anything more about that fascination with provenance, that origin story, an appreciation perhaps of tradition and heritage? That seems to have been something we've constantly come back to and you have on your reporting travels for this. Absolutely. I mean, it's so interesting because I was speaking to Gautier Borsorello, who's the editor of L'Etiquette magazine, and he was saying, actually, it's more of a philosophy that the sort of attitude to manufacturing in France starts when you're really young. You're sort of taught how to observe an object, how to appreciate its seams or its, its taste in a way that perhaps other nations just don't have. And I think that that's really something that I've learned from my travels. Like Tyler says, the sort of French savoir-faire isn't just fashion, it isn't just wine, it goes to every kind of corner of, of the way that the French live. So in a way, that's been a really wonderful journey for me to kind of look at this kind of idea of provenance, but this idea of a philosophy as well. And Jamie, if we talk about that, both that philosophy that Sophie's described and what Tyler was talking about, this idea of support, and it almost comes from France as a as a as a national brand. There are many leaders in certainly in fashion and luxury who've proven that you can support 
made in France as a concept. And you can actually support the doers, those people who are getting their hands dirty. And actually, that more than pays for itself. And I think there's a number of the large uh, maisons who, who do do exactly that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, Chanel is a prime example of buying up these these small specialist ateliers and giving them support because there is, you know, you, you want to keep this tradition going. And these, these small manufacturers, you know, it's been a tough few decades for all these historic makers in, in the fashion industry. Apart from anything else, it's so worthwhile because the Made in France stamp is so valuable around the world. It has so much cachet in a way that perhaps no other country has. And in the fashion industry and in the luxury industry, France is its the home of couture still. It's where you have Paris Fashion Week. It's the, the finest level of of craftsmanship and luxury in the fashion world, the, the kind of pinnacle of this dream of, of craftsmanship. And so, you know, it's so valuable. And basically, a lot of the big maisons can't open enough manufacturers fast enough in France to keep up with that demand for made in France products. One point, and just picking up on what you're saying, Jamie, and you address sort of, of course, the importance of, of luxury and fashion and how it all comes together, you know, in Paris. And of course, so many companies, of course, being fueled by sort of great companies out in the region. But I think one thing, and Sophie, we were talking about this, I mean, just last time and when we were almost getting the series up and running. One of the amazing things about France, and just sort of this is on the label of, of the program, is that here is a nation, of course, it is, it's, a, it's, it's a G7 player, etc. But it's really, it's an intact country that makes everything. I mean, this is one of the remarkable things about it. There is still an auto industry. There is a rail industry. Of course, I mean, there's, you know, aviation, not just, you know, one, but, you know, certainly two, arguably sort of three big players in that area. This is a country which still makes aircraft carriers. Again, it's not it's not the scale of America or China or, or, or Russia. But that's also one of the amazing things. You have to remember that once you've got this, once you have this culture that you can make ships and at the other end you can be making lace or buttons, I think is, is in many ways, I think where, again, a lot of countries would like to end up when we think about not just traceability of products, but we think about you know the miles that it takes for a whether it's a vehicle or or a garment to travel. All of this, of course, is residing in one nation, and then and of course a nation which is sitting at the heart of the EU as well. So where we know that there are there are levels of protection around employees, and of course that there is a, a culture as well that wants to sustain companies like this. And what about this idea then of exportability of these kind of concepts? I mean, so for your, as Tyler said, you're sitting in Paris, you've lived in a number of different places around the world. Do you think that other countries could, should even attempt to try and do what France does? Or is there just something, you know, in the water there that means this is really the only place where this could happen in the way that Tyler describes? Well, they certainly have an amazing history and, and they do have this joined up. Um, sense of, of making everything. I mean, I've been to factories and whole regions that were once sustained by glove making, for instance, Saint Julien, which is, um, you know, tanneries as far as the eye can see. And some of them are derelict. Some of them are really humming. And there are still beautiful gloves coming out of that, of factories there. And Hermes is regenerating one. But some of the family makers are still going. And I think that that's really where the, the French. Um, advantage lies. They lost a lot in through globalisation and sort of, I don't know, cultural changes in the way that people dress, but they didn't lose everything. So they've managed, they've got something, when we're talking about regeneration, they've got something to, to work with and they've got that story. I mean, I suppose when you're thinking about France, it, it, you, you, I mean, 
Jamie mentioned dreaming, but the brand France inspires a lot, but it also inspires a lot of trust. I mean, it's interesting that cosmetics are a huge export for France. It's $9 billion um, dollars a year export. And I mean, I think that really just speaks of the French ideal of beauty, but also the inherent trust that people have in brand France when, they, when they're looking for something to put on their faces. And Jamie, we, we talk about maybe trying to sort of replicate what what brand France has done. Is it instructive, perhaps, in your experience, to look maybe in, in more detail at some specific players? You know, some of the brands we've met even in this program, uh, Arpenteur or De Bon Facture, and look at how they tap into Made in France, how they play up to it, exploit it, value those heritage points. I guess it's useful maybe for smaller businesses or even other countries to look at some individual players and see how they sort of navigate these waters. I mean, those two brands are a good example to look at how they built up their French network. You know, both of them are really open about the fact that they had to look around to find the best manufacturers that were still going because it has been a tough half century for, for a lot of these manufacturers. What we can also see when you look at De Bonfacture's, you know, some of its corduroy trousers or jackets or Arpenteur's more workwear style, you can see how good these factories, how good the quality is when you get the right factories. I think, you know, Arpenteur's a really good example because th- that shows another side of the French manufacturing industry in terms of the fashion world. It's not all luxury and couture. There is this long history of workwear, of making uniforms, for a lot of companies around the world, not not just in France. And what Arpenteur has done, and what's, I think, the important thing about some of these younger brands is they put a really modern, playful spin on these types of products. So they're bringing them to a younger audience, an international audience. They're in, you know, a lot of the kind of coolest boutiques around the world. And it's a different face to this manufacturing. Yes, it's traditional, but it is very playful and contemporary in its kind of sensibility. Tyler, perhaps the last word from you. Let's say we're sat around this table... Let, let's be optimistic. I no, don't know. we are. We are. We are. I, we're here. We are set on the table. In, Sophie's, Sophie's in Paris, but we're here. In, say, I don't know, 30 years time. Uh, could we be having this same conversation? Will we be talking about these same marks? Will we still have the same confidence in the enduring appeal of, of brand made in France? Good question, Tom. I was speaking to uh, Bruno Pavlovsky, who's the, the CEO of, of Chanel, and, and maybe not sort of looking over the horizon or trying to gaze into the crystal ball so much. But I was also talking about the commitment of not just Chanel, but also other French players in terms of technology. So, okay, we can think about buttons right now and, and made in the good old fashioned way. But also, how are you thinking about new fabric technologies? You know, what what is your investment, whether it's saying that you're going to be 3D printing buttons, you know, whatever it is, you know, is there also going to be that that sort of sense of making sure that you are are ready, you're sort of geared up for the future? And I think the answer is, is a firm yes. And uh, you know, there, there's reasons, of course, which we could get into about sort of the French personality, the psyche, that notion of, of what is indeed, you know, part of Fabrique en France. And when you sort of, you know, peel all of that back, I think that probably not a lot is going to change. I mean, we've seen some of these companies have been around centuries in some cases, but certainly we're speaking in terms of generation or generational businesses on the part of others. And and I, I think that this, you know, Jamie sort of touched on it as well. I think this continues to be incredibly important for, for consumers. And I think, you know, more and more people are going to be looking for not just the story, it's not just the provenance piece behind the brand, but is the real sort of value for it? If you're saying that, okay, this is it's a wonderful cashmere sweater that I'm buying, okay, I, I feel confident about, of course, you know, where the actual yarn was sourced. 
But then the other value in it, okay, this is something which was, you know, made in a wonderful region of the country. I know that all of the employees are well looked after. I know that there's actual an actual story behind this, that the looms have been there for a long time. And someone wants to to make sure, I think increasingly, that that's all part of the equation. So I think smart businesses in France are going to continue to upkeep, upgrade, I think, what they already have. But I think also invest in brand and also just invest in that notion that there is an inherent value to, to Made in France. And sadly, that brings us to the end of this series. You can catch up on all five episodes at monocle.com or by subscribing on iTunes or any of your favourite audio sources. Made in France was produced by Holly Fisher and Tom Edwards, and our thanks to Daphne Azar, Sophie Grove and Colette Davidson. I'm Gillian Debias. Merci and au revoir.